A baseball game, a day in a park with friends and family, fishing in a remote stream, work, travels, providing for loved ones, or heading out for adventures. Whatever you do, whatever you enjoy, you need your health. The original Guide to Men's Health is presented by the Washington State Urology Society to help take you through the steps necessary to get the most out of life. If you have invested in a retirement plan for your future, why not invest in your body? After all, it makes better sense to retire healthy and enjoy your future. These podcasts are a guide for how to take care of yourself. If you take care of your car and maintain it, why not do the same for your personal machine, your body? If you know you should but haven't yet, the information in these podcasts contains some easy recommendations for where, when, and how to get started. Follow the podcast as we explore men's health with renowned experts and embark on a journey towards better health. Family medicine is for everyone, whether you're single or have a family, whether you're healthy or unhealthy. Today we interview the Chair of Family Medicine at the University of Washington, Dr. Paul James. Welcome to today's episode of the original Guide to Men's Health. Today we're going to review choosing a family physician and we're fortunate to be interviewing Dr. Paul James. Dr. James is the Chair of Family Medicine at the University of Washington, previously serving as the Chair of Family Medicine at the University of Iowa. Dr. James is an active clinician, educator, and researcher, and he has held notable positions in leadership in many key national organizations. It's a pleasure to have Dr. James review with us family medicine, choosing a primary care provider, and helping us look at why you should. Dr. James, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Pellman. I think most folks wonder, what is the difference between a family doc, primary care physician, versus an internal medicine primary care physician, and what do they need? So, first of all, they are both excellent sources of primary care. There are a few differences. Predominantly, family physicians are trained to take care of the majority of your health care needs, which would include things like your mental health concerns, so things like depression, anxiety, or uh, concerns about memory loss. Um, They also may take care of more musculoskeletal problems, so sports medicine injuries, uh, musculoskeletal things such as that, uh, or even trauma. So if you've cut yourself, the family doctor usually is well-trained to sew up the laceration or, or look at a broken bone. An internist is going to be more focused on internal problems like chronic diseases and things such as that. But general internists may actually be also very well trained in mental health care issues and, and dermatology issues. So uh, I, what, what I find is it usually is dependent on the unique training that a specific doctor has and their interest. I think growing up we had a family doc and 
took care of my brother, myself, my parents, and we went there because they're my parents' doctors. People wonder, well, do you have to actually have a family to join into a family practice and a family physician? You could take a young adolescent person and have them come into your practice, correct? That's that's true. Most of the time we are taking care of individuals. So hopefully no one is going through life without some sort of family and we now define families in a much broader way than we than the traditional sense of a mother and father and brothers and sisters we we all have communities that we that that are supportive for us and so i i would say that the perhaps a distinguishing characteristic of what family doctors do is attempt to take care of you as an individual in the context of you as a social organism within within a larger social unit. So in the context of your work, in the context of your play, and in the context of your passions, what, what you care most deeply about. I uh, think the model of family uh, physician has resonated with people because some people grow up with their family doc and then the family doc takes care of their family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. primary care physicians have seen multiple generations. Yes, and that's particularly true in rural communities where many of us deliver babies and, and we'll do women's health care. And not only do you deliver babies, but you also are helping grandparents transition into later life stages that are uh, equally important to the health of the family. So a full spectrum of care. Yes. Have you seen the primary care physician relationship change as far as the ability to do what primary care had historically done. I mean, if I think back 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. surgery, Mm -hmm. obstetrics that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. subspecialty areas, now at least here in a urban area with all the specialty around, how does primary care still Mm -hmm. deliver what they need to? That's a great question, Dr. Pellman. One of the major changes that has occurred in primary care over the last few years is that primary care is now predominantly delivered in teams. And it is the whole team within the office, which could include the medical office assistant, the nurse. It may include physician's assistants or nurse practitioners, in addition to the doctor, who are working oftentimes in a coordinated fashion to ensure your health. Ideally, you would come in for an annual wellness visit, for example. And at that visit, there would be an identification of opportunities to improve your health. And, and so other members of the healthcare team, in addition to those that I've just mentioned, could include a pharmacist. Uh, they could include physical therapists. They also could include a behavioral health specialist, which is someone like a psychologist. All of these are members of a new primary health care team. And the goal is that together they can deliver even better care than, than the single family doctor of the past. I do think it's a challenge today with large hospital systems. It's more difficult for your primary care doctor or family doctor to take care of you in the hospital. But but we do have opportunities to improve communication, not only between the hospital and the, your doctor's office, 
but with the multitude of great specialists that we have within our healthcare system today. So one of the wonderful opportunities we have is to make sure that we are getting the best communication between your primary care doctor and your specialist and for them to communicate in effective ways that ensure that we're delivering the best care for you as a patient. I see the primary care physician as a anchor. Uh, the specialist may be a one-time or two-time encounter. Patients then have their family doc, primary care physician to come back to as kind of the anchor for their care. And while they might go out to have a particular need met through a specialty, they're always going to come back to seek your opinion. I do think that's one of the joys of why many of us chose the primary care specialties because there is a desire to have a relationship and to get to know you as a patient and to understand what your values are and what your goals are for your health. One of the ways of defining a family doctor is that we are the doctors that specialize in you. And our goal is to learn as much about you as an individual as we can so that we can help guide your health care decisions. To better understand, for example, who may be the best specialist for your needs and the goals that you have, and to then be your advocate within the health care system. And I think that's what I, I truly love about primary care is you are my advocate. If I'm seeing you in the context of my parents brought me in, you're still my advocate. When I grow up, you're my advocate, and you know me. And I'm the person who's getting the care, but you're the person that I trust for an opinion. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. Now, <clears throat> when you look at individuals, what would you prescribe, if you could, as a care plan for when you would want to start seeing a young individual or an older individual? When, when should they enter into healthcare? So there are stages in one's life. For, for young adults, so for example, for young men in their 20s, we like to assess your cardiovascular risk. So that would be a visit sometime in your early 20s to have your cholesterol checked. At that time, we would have discussions about appropriate nutrition, diet, and exercise. We would talk about weight. One of my favorite things to discuss with someone in their early 20s is, is to ask them the question, let's say you only gain three pounds for the next 30 years. So you're 25, you're gonna be 65, and you only gain three pounds. That's not much, but by the time you're 65, that 180 pound person is now 280 because that's 90 pounds of additional weight gain. And so we have discussions about the importance of, of monitoring portion size and being attentive to the fact that we're not getting taller anymore and we need to, to look at our uh, at, at healthy lifestyles. In our 30s, we continue those discussions and we, we also talk about the importance of of building good social relationships, healthy relationships. I often say to young men, be sure that you tell the people that love you that you love them and look after them throughout their life because those relationships are the ones that are gonna be important to you as you get older. In your 40s, cardiovascular health becomes more important, especially concerns about blood pressure and cholesterol. We also then begin to, to ask about 
your family history in cancers, and specifically whether we need to start screening for any cancers earlier. Most of the cancers we begin to think about screening are at age 50. So for men, one of the discussions that's really important to have with your primary care doctor is about, for example, prostate cancer screening. It is a controversial area, but it's an area that I think it's important to talk about and consider testing for, especially if you're in a high-risk group or if it's in your family history. What about a adolescent male who may not have a pediatrician, who is uh, wondering about sexual health issues? How would they go about getting an appointment as a teenager? Mm-hmm. Yes. So. So it's important that they know that if they come to a primary care doctor with questions about sexual health, first of all, all of that visit and healthcare information is private, and it's not shared even with with parents of a younger adolescent because issues regarding sexual health or potential family violence or even mental health concerns are protected health information. And they should feel comfortable that they are going to be protected by the doctor in asking the important questions that that need to be asked. Your question also highlights for me that is one of the areas that I forgot to talk about, which was sexual health. And, and so we oftentimes will do screening for things such as sexually transmitted illnesses throughout young adulthood to ensure that, that someone is maintaining health. And we also spend significant time discussing safe sexual practices. So if a teenager picks up the phone, calls a primary care office, and uh, they of course say, well, what, what are your needs uh, and how old are you? They're not going to be told, well, you can't come without a parent. That's correct. They'd be able to make the appointment. They'd have to figure out some means of coverage. Yes. But still, they're able to come on their own. So it shouldn't dissuade them from the potential of making an appointment. That's absolutely true. And the uh, relationship would then continue as that person ages and they've entered into the healthcare system. When, yes. when would you like to first see somebody? Well, I think anyone who has questions about some symptoms that they're having that are not explainable, or if, if they have questions about how they can maximize their health, I think that's a good time to come see your physician. There's not a right age, so, so as young as, as 18 or, or being a teenager, when, when you have questions such as this, I'm not sure there is a bad time uh, to, to come see your primary care physician. And then, usual young, healthy person, what would be a care plan for frequency of visits? I mean, is that a yearly yes. or? So, so if someone is doing well and is healthy and, and the doctor has not identified any health risk, between the 20 and 30 range every few years. So three years is perfectly fine. If there is a health concern, like a question about your blood pressure, then then the physician will likely ask to have you be seen more frequently. So as needs come up, sports injuries or pains or mm-hmm. colds or mm-hmm. something that is worrisome to somebody, they would mm-hmm. then make the appointment then. But just routine would be an interval if they're healthy of a few years at that point. Yes, and so I will say that this is a really great question to ask your doctor when you're at your visit. What would they recommend? Because they're going to be able to give a much better answer to that question based on your personal health history and your physical exam. 
So you just uh, set up the next important topic is how to find a family doc and how to get the most out of the visit, how to come prepared. So in today's world, I think central to this question is who will your insurance pay for? Um, I think we're all concerned about the cost of health care. And so I think I would first begin by asking your insurance provider who are the doctors that are within their plan because those are likely to be less expensive for you as, as an individual. Understanding that, the things I would look for are, are they a board certified? family physician. So in family medicine, those would be certified by the American Board of Family Medicine. Other things to look for, though, are offices that are affiliated with health systems that you may trust. So for example, here at the University of Washington, we're a part of UW Medicine. And, and I think many people may choose to go to a family doctor that is affiliated with a hospital or health system that they trust. Other important contributors are how accessible are they? An office where you can be seen at a time that's convenient for you and is reasonable for you is an important consideration. And I don't discount at all the importance of asking family and friends about doctors that they have seen, that they trust and have found to be. Now, if I'm making my first appointment with a family physician, is there something I should do as a patient to get the most out of the visit? How should I come prepared? What should I be ready to ask? Or what material would you need to know about? Mm -hmm. Most of us now will send you a questionnaire before your visit. And this is intended to help organize your thoughts about your own personal health. So most of, most of us then will have questions about your, your diet and your exercise, your family history, your medical history. So what surgeries have you had? What are operations? What medications do you take? And in addition to medications, if you take other things such as supplements, your doctor would want to know those things. And so to have all of those things written out would be extremely helpful. Other things that we'll ask about are your exercise habits, your smoking habits, your drinking habits. We're concerned about substance abuse, and it's a real hidden issue that we think we might not have a health problem, but based on some, some very clear guidelines, we can help people identify if they are at risk, for example, of an alcohol abuse disorder or concerns about smoking, for example. Smoking is, a, is a, still a significant health threat in our society. And, our job is to help patients identify the best strategy for them that can help them achieve the health goals that they would like. While we may think there are reasons why it is beneficial to us, one of our tasks is, is to help people identify strategies to say, hmm, maybe I didn't need that as much as I thought I did. You're smoking. Yes. I'd like to have patients at least have list hmm. because if it's something that they may be embarrassed about, they may be waiting for the physician to ask, and the physician just doesn't hit on it. They may not bring it up yes. and leave without getting that pertinent question answered. That's a really important point. And many times the visits may be compressed because the doctor is being expected to then go to their next patient. So having your questions written out, and I would say then prioritizing your top two questions 
is really, really important because the doctor may not have time to get down to questions number eight and nine if you have a, lo a long list. Uh, so I, I would really emphasize the importance of prioritizing your questions and, and making sure that you get to those top two. I uh, always appreciate patients who understand that there is a visit time. I mean, we can't go all day or we wouldn't see yes. anybody else, but say, can I make another appointment to follow up on this? And that's perfectly legitimate is, yes, yes. let's set another time slot. Maybe that will be a longer time slot once we know what the issue is. And it's very fair to come back. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that is an important element that many excellent primary care doctors do. The first few minutes should be about agenda setting. And at the very beginning of a visit, many times I'll have to say to a patient, well, you know, we're going to have to save those things for a later visit. Let's, let's address this important thing today. And I think that's the hallmark of good physicians is, is they're clear about what we can expect during this visit today. And then referring back to concerns, say, smoking. We now have strategies that work very well for these issues, smoking sensation, addictions, depression. It's really an emphasis now on making certain that we've covered these topics, but the patients need to make us aware of them. And then there are strategies for dealing with them. That's absolutely true. And, and that's why it's important that today's primary care offices have some of these support personnel, such as the psychologist, uh, that can immediately provide strategies for patients to begin to change their health behaviors. None of us are perfect at uh, living our healthiest lifestyles, and yet we do find that all of us have opportunities to do a little bit better if given the right encouragement and the right strategies. And I think that's an important role of your primary care doctor. Again, the difference between a, a practice that's here in an urban population versus being out in a rural population where the primary care doctor may be the only health practitioner for miles around, we're going to see a difference there. There will be, although many family physicians are well-trained in behavioral health strategies, and they also have access to some community support services. They may be at the local rural hospital. They may be uh, affiliated with organizations within their community. And I think many family doctors have learned that they need to identify those resources for their patients. But, but you're right, the best way though to have them addressed is to bring them up with your doctor. With your experience of uh, rural medicine and broader practice, Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the key things that happen in a rural population? Surgery or deliveries, pediatric care, mm -hmm. what other? Sure. So, so in a rural practice, because you're the only doctor in the community, you're taking care of everyone. And that means newborns and, and mothers who are pregnant and GYN, uh, gynecologic care. Uh, as well as elder care and taking care of patients in nursing homes or even making home visits, which are a very rare thing in urban settings, may be more frequent in rural communities. And I think in part though, that also helps you in some ways to get better care because the doctor tends to not just know you from your visit, but they may know you from taking care of your mother or your spouse or your children. And there's a certain joy that comes with that, even for the doctor. 
Yeah, I think that connection with the whole family and understanding their environment, where they're living, certainly has changed over time, but I think it's the essence of taking care of people. Well, if we wanted to then look at primary care physician. Dr. Pellman, it's important to remember that in rural communities also, the family doctor is also taking care of the patient in the hospital, uh, likely delivering the babies in the hospital, in the nursing home, and actually even doing em the emergency department. So that's a stark difference than what we have available today in our more urban environments. And in the urban environment, the primary care physicians used to go to take care of people in the hospital, but it wasn't very efficient for them. They had to leave the office, travel, go back. And so in our current situation, at least in an urban environment, we now have hospitalists. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so it, it has been more efficient from many different perspectives, especially from the hospital perspective, to have a physician that's available all the time in the hospital who doesn't have to run out quickly and go back to their office. These larger health systems today, I think, are doing better jobs at communicating between the hospitalist and the primary care physician. That still remains an opportunity, though, to improve communication. There are actually studies under that, that are being done by actually internists looking at the role of having a primary care doctor assist with the hospitalist in, in the hospital. And there are opportunities possibly for doing that even by telephone, where you can still have the benefits of having your doctor involved in care, and I think that's an area for future research. Telehealth and telemedicine. Yes, absolutely. So, so telehealth is, is a strategy for actually even getting your care at home, but, but also then to improve communication across our specialty care environments and within the hospital. If we were to design a perfect delivery system, what, what would you like to see as part of the most efficient and patient-accepted care team? Yes, I think the most efficient and effective one is one that is accessible, easily accessible for patients, that delivers care to them when they need it, at the right time, at the right place, and with high quality. In order to do that, we have to create an efficient and effective primary care system that is not a gatekeeper, but a gate opener to the high-tech, highly skilled specialists that, that our healthcare system has, but ensuring that patients are getting to the right doctor at the right time. One of the challenges is if a patient doesn't have their primary care physician as their quarterback and they're seeing a subspecialist who takes care of one very focused area of care, they may bring up concerns uh, about other things. And that doctor is not as focused on those areas. And there's a tendency to think, oh, but this is a doctor, they will know everything about this. And I think it's important for patients to know that they need to come back to their primary care doctor when they have unanswered questions to just, again, look with fresh eyes and make sure that they're getting the right care at the right time at the right place. That's probably what I would recommend. I uh, will 
ask you just for one last piece of information. Um, many patients come in and they'll encounter a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner. And how has primary care incorporated the, we call them physician extenders, but these are practitioners who are really linked to the practice. How have you incorporated them into the practice of medicine? Yes, they are, um, I think, uh, ideal members of the primary health care team. Many patients may actually have a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner as their primary um, continuity provider. Um, I do think in the ideal setting of primary care, it is optimal if they are working with well-trained physicians so that we are taking advantage of the full resources of the primary care environment. So in summation, the bulletproof young man who has nothing wrong says, why do I need a doctor? Your advice would be? Um, exercise, eat healthily, um, come in and see your, your family doctor to get your cholesterol checked and your blood pressure checked. So for, for that young healthy guy who says, I'm invincible, I would caution that we don't always know how invincible we are. And you may be overweight and not know it. Your blood pressure may be up. That is the silent killer. Your cholesterol may be high. For those reasons, I do think at some point in your 20s, you need to see your primary care physician and they need to do a thorough assessment of your health risk. In that way, we can assure that you can achieve your life goals by uh, avoiding premature death and disability, by um, achieving your goals of being the best person you can be, and um, living a long and healthy life. Well, Dr. James, thank you. We truly appreciate your taking the opportunity to give us some perspective of having a primary care physician and family medicine. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Pellman. This completes another podcast chapter of the Washington State Urology Society's original Guide to Men's Health. This is Dr. Richard Pellman reminding you to take care of yourself. The Washington State Urology Society wishes to thank all contributors who volunteered their time and knowledge. The information presented is the opinion of the speakers. The Society also wishes to thank Sean Fox for his invaluable technical assistance. Music theme, San Juan Bells, written and performed by Dr. Dave Whitig. The podcasts are the property of the Washington State Urology Society. Reproduction and use without the express consent of the Society is strictly prohibited. For more information about men's health, visit WSUS.org or visit your physician or care provider.